Uh, this morning, we have a very exciting uh, time in our church, and in Ephesians chapter 4, I want to just share with you uh, kind of why, why we're doing what we're doing today. Verse 11 says this, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Uh, God is going through a short list of spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, and he mentions a few giftedness, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Verse 12 tells us why he gives these gifts to the church. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And, and so God gives us different giftedness in the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can actually mature so that we can all do the work of the ministry together, right? And you guys have heard this. If you've been at this church for any amount of time, you, you kind of know that Ephesians 4 principle. Uh, this morning, I'm really excited because we have one of our own uh, that's going to stand in the pulpit and bring us the Word of God. We had that last week. We had that last week. Uh, Cody Head is phenomenal, and God uses him mightily uh, when he teaches. And this morning, uh, we have another one of our guys that, that's an up-and-coming leader uh, that has proven himself faithful, and he's been given opportunity to stand and preach the Word of God. And so I'm really excited for him, but I'm excited for our church because God's going to use the Word of God to help us grow. We, we need to grow. And, and the other thing we need to remember at our church is ministry doesn't hinge on one person. It actually does hinge on one person. His name is Jesus Christ. But, but outside of that, we're all in this thing together. And so our church, our church is not based on a personality or a certain pastor. It's based on the authority of the Word of God. And I'm thankful that this young man is, I say young man, I'm old now, so I, everybody's young man. Uh, but I'm thankful for Colin and his faithfulness and his family. And so he's going to come and bring the Word of God to us. You pray for him, you welcome him, and rejoice with him. Brother, come preach to us. We're glad to hear from you, man. You can clap. Yeah, yeah. Love you, bro. All right. Good morning. Thank you for, for your prayers throughout the week. It was definitely felt. I'll say that. Um, I could not do it without it. I promise you, um, in my flesh, as y'all probably know, um, I'm not much of a public speaker, so you know it's a God thing that I'm up here. Uh, but there's one thing I care about more than anything else, putting my, my, my defects to, to open display, it would be the name of Jesus Christ. And, and I do believe he has a word for us. And I get the honor of standing before you and sharing with you some verses that God used mightily in my life. And I'm, I'm just thankful for the opportunity. Thank for guys like Jay and Cody and, and a lot of guys at this church who have invested the words of God into my soul. Seriously, thank you. But uh, we got we to gotta get going because uh, there's a song that, that puts it best. It would say we have a long way to go and a short time to get there. I got, I got way too many notes. So we need to get, get rolling. So as way of an intro, I need, to, I need to get us kind of that mall map kind of view of where we're at in the book of Romans. We, we've, we've seen through the book of Romans, Romans 1 starts with, with no excuse. It says that there's no one here that doesn't have an excuse because we've all seen the majesty of the Godhead through creation. Romans 2 talks about there's no escape. God being no respecter of person, we will get judged. Romans 3, we saw there's no exceptions. That's for all of us. All of us have sinned. We kind of hit a little bit of a pivoting point, and we see that there's no effort. Based on the work of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the example of Abraham, we see that, that our salvation doesn't come from our works. Then we kind of we hit this really cool section in Romans 5, 6, and 7, and then 8, where we see the justification, sanctification, and glorification. This is really, really cool. One of, one of the verses that I kind of saw this out of was 2 Corinthians 1.10. It says, talking about Christ, who delivered us and doth deliver and will deliver us. So understand this. As we, as we keep rolling, we're going to talk about things that happened in our past and when we're, how we're going to apply them today and how that relates to our future. But in that verse right there, we see our salvation came in three parts. First, there was a day of our justification. This is when you placed your faith and trust in the name of Jesus Christ to deliver you from your sins. Second, he doth deliver. It's a present thing. This talks to our sanctification. And the verse that we're going to get into, Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you want to kind of work your Bibles there, we're going to, we're going to pivot into what we need for our sanctification, for our, our present salvation. 
And then Romans 8, of course, is, is talking about the glorified bodies we're going to receive. So with that, I would say that Romans 9, 10, and 11 make a lot more sense because they use the Gentile, the church, to see past, present, future. And then as, as Jay and Cody taught, Romans 9 is, is Israel's past. Romans 10, Israel's present, much like ours. Then Romans 11 is Israel's future. But here's the big thing. We, we hit to this point. Now we're in Romans 12. If, if you kind of look at the book of Romans, the easiest division is the first 11 and then the, the 12 through 16. And these two verses are, act like a hinge. We're going to go from deeply doctrinal stuff, like, like what we talked about, our justification, our sanctification, our, uh, the atonement of the blood. That's doctrinal. There wasn't a lot of direction given in the first part of Romans. But it's going to get extremely practical in a, in a hurry, especially with these two verses. Right out of the gate, Paul needs us to know some things, right? So here's what I had for you. Devotion comes from our doctrine. What you believe is going to manifest in your behavior. So I've probably heard it like this said. I'm probably ripping it off of Jay, but information without application is an abomination. Let me slow you down. If we don't take what we grabbed in Romans 1 through 11 and put it to use, we become vain, puffed up, carnal, fruitless believers who end up despising people for what they don't know. God help us. So today, as we, as we pivot, we're going to be talking about Romans 12 and 1, 12, 1 and 2, and we're going to get super practical right across the plate today. So would you join me in prayer ask the Holy Spirit to teach us? Father, it's by your grace and mercy that's so abundant for us. I just thank you for the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your perfect, pers- uh, perfect word. We can have certainty. Uh, thank you that, that I stand before you with, with stammering lips and, and weak flesh, but somehow you would, you would choose me to manifest your word in front of these people. They're your people. They need to hear from you. I acknowledge that your spirit's the teacher, and I pray that you just teach us today as we just dive into your word. We love you, and it's all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All righty. For our first point of study, what we need to get is Paul's plea. Plea is the word that goes in your bank. So like Cody taught us last week, um, good preaching always has, has all the blanks with the same letter. So we get the letter P today. So the, the verse starts out, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're going to take Paul's plead in that first little chunk. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. We see the audience, it's brethren. We also see that, that Paul uses a word called beseech. I'm sure you know this, you use this every day, right? All right, okay, get with me here. I need your help. All right, so we don't use the word beseech a lot, but I'll tell you what it means. Um, it's a fervent, urgent request made to someone to, to provoke some action. So Paul's saying, wake up. Y'all need to get this. And, and for Paul to do that, he's our apostle. We need to make note, right? There's one other time that I'll show you in Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 4.16. It goes, wherefore, I beseech you. Be ye followers of me. If you remember this kind of t- context of this verse, 1 Corinthians, a book of, of carnal, backslidden, you know, divided believers. And he's writing them because he had 18 months with them, if you were counting the book of Acts. So Paul spent 18 months with the church of Corinth. And he's beseeching them. And, and if you kind of jump some verses ahead, it, he was saying, though you have 10,000 instructors, you need some fathers. So he's, he's beseeching them like a father to a son. So we need to really take this seriously because if we don't get this part, what comes next, man, it's, it's going to miss us. It's going it's to go way over ahead and never hit our part. But Paul does something very specific here. He says, by the mercies of God. Mercy, easily defined, would be not getting what you do deserve. So God's mercy, when, when Paul uses this, this should say like, hey, God's mercy if that doesn't move you, like Cody sang about it, we sang about it. If God's mercy is, is one of those things that you hear it and, and it doesn't kind of hit you, man, check your faith. It might be stale. It, it's, it's something that, that if you realize what God did in your life, 
it should get your attention, right? So Paul's using this to, to make sure that we get an important piece. There's two verses that we're going to read. The first one's starting in Titus 3, verses 3 through 6. Paul, and the first part of it is recounting um, how we were in our lost state. And if the verse is on the screen, you can follow along. We start in verse 3. We ourselves also were foolish, were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's our lost state. But thank God for the buts, right? So it says, but after that, the kindness of the, love and, uh, of the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Today, it's easy to see it's by his mercy that we're saved. Another verse I'd have us look at is, is Lamentations 3, 21 uh, through 23. It says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the... The, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Simply put, here's your key principle, here's what goes in your blanks. God's mercy must be sufficient motivation for our application. So there's two, two examples that we can keep in our head. There's, there's first is, is Paul is an unsaved man, and the second one is Lot that we'll see in Genesis 19. If you look at 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul's recounting again and says, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy. There we go. Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Here's, here's, here's what happened. When you were lost and, and separated from God with that sin, God's mercy is what gave us space to repent until we heard the gospel. Simply said, at any moment before you heard the gospel and put your faith and trust in that, God could have flicked you off the planet and done so righteously. So as you read Paul's writings, the other thing I would say that we need before we kind of get into more practical stuff is Paul, this never left Paul's mind. It, the fact that he was, he was unsaved and he was, he was sinful and, and that God showed mercy, that was always the fuel of his ministry, right? So as our apostle, when he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, we need to, we need to make sure that, that what Paul cared about, what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, doesn't grow old on us as well. The second example is in Genesis 19. Um, quickly, uh, we would learn that, that Lot and Abraham were, were together. They got separated. Um, Lot kind of chose a different path, right? And in that path, he chooses to dwell in, in Sodom, He's working the door of Sodom. He gets a place to prestige. He's where he shouldn't be as a child of God, right? But you learn in verse nine, uh, Genesis 19 that, that Lot sends someone, and, and it says that the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him, forth, uh, brought him forth and set him without the city. It was the Lord's mercy that when, when Lot was, as a child of God, was in a place he should not have been, that the Lord had mercy and pulled him out of there. So... With that, I would say that even as a child of God, God gives you space to repent. If you're, as a Christian, not living and not doing the things you ought to be doing, God's being merciful with you. Please see that in your life. And I pray that that invokes us to repent. So let's examine ourselves today. I would ask us, are we beseechable? As we stand up here and we have the word of God in front of us, do we have the pleas of God getting our ear and affecting our heart? Is the mercy of God enough to motivate us? I would leave you with this exhortation. It's, uh, it's, as we're reading through the 52 weeks, uh, I'm praying that we all get a heart like David. David had a heart in Psalms 13, 5 and 6 that, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord. This is when he was moved to action because of what the Lord did through his mercy because he had dealt bountifully with me. So please consider, if we don't get a heart right, what comes next is going to sound really, really difficult. But if we understand exactly what the Lord was doing and having mercy with us, it's going to be a lot easier when we move on to the second blank, which is presentation. Presentation goes in your blank. And, and the, the part of the verse here, it's, it's kind of 1B. It's that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Alrighty.
as I was kind of searching out scripture, I, I found two examples definitely of a living sacrifice. The first one I would say is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, he was, he was put on the cross. He was, he was killed for our sins. He was buried and rose again three days later. He's alive, thus making a living sacrifice. We're actually going to use Genesis 22 today to get four points of how we can be a living sacrifice. Abraham, if you remember, Abraham was told to go and offer up his only beloved son in a place that God would tell him. Um, again, really, really good type and picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here. But, but we're going to get some practical things out of verse 9 and 10. If you understand the context, um, Abraham's there, his son's in front of him, and, and he's about to do this thing, right? He's, he's about to rear this knife back and be obedient unto God and sacrifice his only child. So let's pick up in verse 9. And they came to a place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on an altar upon, uh, upon the altar. Up, I'm sorry, excuse me. And laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Isaac stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So the first of the four things that we see here in, in these two verses is an altar. And I say to you, an altar is a place of worship. It's, it's our devotion. It's a foundational piece with the, our relationship with Christ. The key that we need to see here is if, if we're to be a living sacrifice, we need an altar. This altar is established by the, the fundamentals. These are the, the virtue pieces that we would say of our Christian faith. It's the praying. It's the going to church. It's, it's reading our Bibles. It's dealing with our sin. And it's giving, Right? So these are how the believer ascribes worth uh, to God. The second one we would have here is, is the wood. The wood is, is, as you know, Christ bore his cross and he was made of wood. Remember that? It's a place of crucifixion. It was a place of judgment. Ultimately, it's a place of death. So the key here is, as we're looking at this example in Genesis 22, is that if we're going to be disciples of Christ... We must, this must be a daily in our lives. We, us bearing our cross, our, we have to get to a place where there's death of self. Our flesh must be nailed to the cross and stay there. You would learn this in, in, in Luke 14, 27, where it says, Jesus speaking here, and says, Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We have to understand that wood upon that altar is, is the mark of us being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, the third of the four things, I would say, is, is the knife that we see pictured here. As you can imagine, a knife is, is, is for an, an instrument, right? It's, it's, it's for a specific purpose, but it does the cutting and piercing. The knife is the actual the thing that, that draws the blood. And we know even from Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So we know that blood is required for sacrifice. I mean, you see pictures of this all over the... Old Testament and, and many of our favorite books like Leviticus and, and stuff like that. So I would say that without this key piece of the knife, if we don't understand what that is, we'll never really be living sacrifices. So what, what is that? What is that knife in our life? Didn't mean to rhyme there, but uh, Ephesians 6.17 would call it the, word, or the sword of the spirit. Um, this is the key piece that will shape our hearts and mind as we kind of see later and transform us into the image of Christ. So simply put, that knife is the word of God. And we see its function here in Hebrews 4.12 when it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And is a, get this, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. So if, we are gonna, if we're going to be a living sacrifice, there's going to be a point where we have to meter our thoughts and intents of our hearts by the word of God. And the last one here is going to be sacrifice. This is going to be, ultimately, it's the cost and what gets lost. It's always a good day on, on sacrifices for everything, all the people, except for the one getting sacrificed, right? So everybody gets around the bull and, and whatever, and it's like, oh, hey, Thank you for all the atonement, but the bull kind of got the short end of the stick, right? So it's actually what cost and what's lost. So it's the price of the deal. So 
for us to be a living sacrifice, what is it going to cost? It's our living body. It's our entire body. It's, it's, it's going to be willing, submitted, and yielded, and presented as a living sacrifice. Um, as you imagine, there's no, there's no like, any clause in here that, that gets you, like, well, I can give all my body but, right? So as we're giving our body, you would, you would say that it's all of our members, and it's, it's including our chest. This is our, our heart. This is where our desires live. It's our feet. It's the way we walk. It's what we walk after. It's our hands. It's how we stay busy. It's what we labor on. All this has to be surrendered upon the altar. It's our, it's our neck. That represents our will. Jesus says, take my yoke. And, and that re- we have to submit our will to Christ. It's our eyes. It's how we view the souls of lost men. It's our mouth. And this, and it, up until here, you're like, ah, I, okay, I can go with that. But something happens, man, when you, when you tell a Christian that he has to start using his mouth for God. I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but, but if you tell people like, hey, I want you to go preach the gospel, they're like, can I just build a fence? <laughs> like, are you good with me just building a well, or do I really have to preach the name of Jesus? But that is a member of our body, right? So if we're going to be living sacrifices, we must make sure that we're, we're using our mouth to say and preach. The key principle that I have you to get down is to be a living sacrifice. This goes in blank. Our bodies must be fully surrendered for whatever the Lord has for us. So where you would see this, and, and there's a lot more verses, but for sake of time, I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to only take us to one. It's going to be Galatians 2.20. I'd say, um, Paul here, you can see the spirit of a living sacrifice. You could say, um, starting in verse 20, I would say, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's a living sacrifice. It's the fact that we lay down our bodies, we're sacrificed. It's our death that that the life of Christ may be manifest in our life. Trying... So here's the difference between trying and dying. I, I learned this at Wedstrong with Mark Trotter. Um, trying is, is, is what the world's facsimile or the world's um, would tell you, hey, if you just try it a little harder, if you just put a little more into it, you, you'll, you'll get there. That's your flesh way of saying, hey, don't worry, I'll do better myself. Your flesh wants to control. Understand that. Romans 7, you would even see this that as, as Paul recounts. Man, there's a battle warring in my members, right? Your flesh wants control. So if your flesh can stay in control under the guise of improvement, it's always going to be in control. So the point is we need to stop trying, get busy dying, that the life of Christ may be manifest in us. So our flesh is is how we get, uh, our crucified flesh is how God gets glory. You would see this when God said, there's no flesh that should glory in my presence, well, we can't do that if we're, if we're presenting a fleshly carnal body that's in control. So we need to be submitted, put our, our flesh on the cross, and make sure it stays there. So there's a preacher illustra- illustration that I stole. It, it quite simply that in your heart there's a, a cross and there's a throne. And this kind of illustrates the point, so bear with me. But you get to choose which one you're on. Right, so in, in, if you're saved, Jesus Christ is the is the King of your heart, so to speak, and in, there's a throne there. But based on your choices, you can either put yourself on the cross, which makes by default Jesus on the throne, or you can put yourself on the throne by your will and your thoughts and all the stuff you want, and Jesus has to go back to the the cross. So today, again, silly illustration, but in summary, I might say our whole body is required that is is to be placed on the altar, crucified and pierced by the word of God. And get this, and it never gets up. So um, next thing I'd have us to look at is, is another part of that verse is when it talks about being holy and acceptable unto God. Notice that there's no and. So holy and acceptable are joined in, 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 in kind of holy. This is, I don't know the word really. I'm not good with words, but I'd say holy and acceptable for it to be acceptable, it has to be holy. And for it to be, um, for it to be holy, it has to be acceptable, right? So I don't know if I said that right, but I think you might get the point. <laughs> All right, thank you for the laughter. All right, so as you, you might realize, um, if you've been around the church for a minute, you would say holy is being set apart. 
We're not going to spend a ton of time on it for time's sake, but we're actually commanded to, to be holy. In, in 1 Peter 1, it says, be holy for I am holy. Um, it's an important note that the only way that we can be holy is, is, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can't be holy unto God. And you would, you, places you would go to see this would maybe be 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17, where it says, hey, I'm going to dwell among them. I'm going to walk among them. That's the only way that we can be unclean is, is that, that we have a, a clean spirit of God in us. So um, the other thing that I, I would kind of say, there's a really cool, if you're reading 52 weeks in Numbers 8, uh, I was reading through while I was preparing this, and I saw this. I was like, oh, that goes with it. But in Numbers 8, you, you learn about the service in the Lord and the Old Testament priest. And, and what it was, in, in starting verse thing, uh, 13, it was the separation and cleansing was required before the work could begin. So for us to be used of God, quite simply, and this probably is our key point out of this, is for us to be used of God, to be set apart and holy, that's the only way we're going to partake in his ministry. So um, the other one there is unacceptable. So you've got to ask the question, if there's acceptable sacrifices, what are unacceptable sacrifices, right? So um, let's go to Malachi 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip there, and, and I'll kind of give you a quick summary, and, and i got some verses on the screen. Um, we're going to be landing in Malachi 10, but we'll probably start around verse 6. Um, if you understand kind of the context, uh, the Lord's talking to priests. Um, and, and the Lord pretty much said, hey, you have been despising my name by the offering of polluted bread upon the altar. So right there, we, we got the context. Israel's doing some, some offering of things they, they ought not to offer. Um, then he talks about, hey, would you bring a blind sacrifice? Would you bring a lame sacrifice? Would you bring those evil sacrifices to me? And then he challenges me even more and says, hey, with those sacrifices, the blame, lime, uh, uh, evil sacrifices, would you, would you take that and submit that to your earthly leaders? Would you ever take what you're bringing to me and go take it to your boss? But, but we see that, that in verse 10 kind of sums it up. And he says, hey, I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. What we need to get out of this is to be an acceptable offering unto God. We can't bring our, our lame, evil sacrifices. Uh, we're going to have to bring something that the Lord requires. The other half of that. So what we bring is, is definitely important. And we see that in Malachi. We can't just bring any old thing, right? But the other half of that coin is, is 1 Samuel 15. I don't know how you read the Bible, but it, it's, it's fun as you're reading. If you kind of reading through and get a sense of humor about it. First Samuel 15, if you, this is before Saul completely comes off the rails. He's not completely nuts yet. But what, what he's going through, and, and he gets a command from the Lord, and he says, hey, I need you to go wipe out everything, all everything. Just clean it up. And, and it, he's using the prophet Samuel for this, right? So he's, he's speaking through Samuel. Ultimately, what happens is he's, he goes in there, and he just spares the best of everything. And he's like, hmm. That's not so bad. I mean, we're, we're going to need the best things to make a sacrifice, right? I mean, that human logic says you don't have to clean out everything. So, but the funny part is, is, is verse 14, Samuel says, What meaneth then this bleeding of sheep in my ears or the lowing of oxen I hear? Could you imagine? So Saul, Saul and, and Samuel are standing there, and, and, you know, Saul comes back. He's like, dude, I cleaned it all up. And he actually says, I've done all that the Lord has commanded. And Shimon's going, I want to believe you, but in my ear hole is sheep. Like, there's no way you could have ever done what the Lord asked you to do, because what he asked you to do is kill everything. And what you did is left, obviously, sheep and oxen, right? So because of that, you'll see in verse 22 that Samuel says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And you'll see that, that because Samuel didn't obey, there was serious consequence about it. So we got to get to a place where we understand what we bring to God is important. But also, we got to do it God's way. we got to do it according to the Word of God. It was Samuel at that time, but we got to make sure that it's book, chapter, verse for us, or God's not going to have a part of it. And, and God forbid, that's, that's a pretty terrible place to be. And, and I, would, I would say examine ourselves. Is what we're bringing lame, 
kind of like evil sacrifices like the nation of Israel and Malachi? Are we bringing just straight disobedience like Saul did? So uh, the last kind of point here as we kind of wrap up this part of the verse is reasonable service. I love, I love this commentary here. Um, you see, you know, what, what most people would say probably is a hard ass. They're like, hey, all God wants of you is everything. And he says, oh, by the way, it's reasonable. And you look at that and you're like, oh, how's that reasonable? I'm losing everything, right? So it is reasonable. I assure you it's absolutely reasonable. I can tell you that from the word of God. I would have you go to places like 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And again, if you read your Bible with a sense of humor, you can say, what? Like Paul, you know, picture that kind of going in your head. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit. If you read it up to there, you'd say, oh, okay. But this last part is the kicker, which are God's. You know why it's reasonable? Because your body is not your own. You with me? So... Uh, how about this? Living sacrifice is not for super Christians. It's, it's for obedient Christians. It's, it's someone that can look at that verse and say, yep, God said it. I'm good with it. So because God so, said so and, and God, his foolishness is wiser than men, when he says his reasonable service, it's yes and amen. Is that good? We good with that? All righty. So let's um, jump on to the next point. It's going to be the possibilities. Again, with another P. We're going to get this out of the first part of verse 2. It says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't know how long y'all have been here, but we would say that we would have three enemies, the, the flesh, the devil, and the world, the world system. And before now, I never, I, you know, I, I kind of knew about a little bit when people talked about types and pictures of the world, and they're like, oh, it's this evil, terrible place. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, I, I get it. But is it so bad? Well, according to the word of God, I'd have you know that in, in Genesis 3, that the ground is actually cursed. It's, it's one of the things that oppose us. The world system actually in, in Galatians 4.3 keeps us in bondage. That's not very good. Um, there's only three things in the world. If you look at, at 1 John 2, the lust of the eye, uh, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And the, wor- the world also has a God, and, and that, jo- that G isn't big. It's actually the devil. You would get that out of 1 John 4, 4 and 2 Corinthians 4, 4. This world has a course. You would, you would go to places like Ephesians 2, 2 to understand that there's a way to this world that seems right. Um, there's another piece that we're going to need later, which is the world has its own wisdom. And then I uh, kind of jump ahead in my notes, but the world's wisdom is, is far apart from God's wisdom. So, and the other thing I'd say about the world is it's corrupted through lust, like you, you would learn in 2 Peter 1, 4, and that the whole world lies in wickedness, 1 John five nineteen. So, if you're looking at the Word of God, you would say, Ooh, the world's now, it's all that it's cracked up to be. So, simply put, Galatians 1, 4 said, this present evil world, if that wasn't enough for you, in James 4, 4, says that a friend of the world is enemy with God. So the problem is that we're going to get to is we can't ride both ends of the fence, right? So you can't, there's no meshing of the two. This is, this is flesh and spirit for us. So the world is directly opposite, or we might use dichotomous from the spirit. It's on this side and God's on this side. There's no intermingling, right? Um, an example I'd maybe take you to in scripture would be Genesis 3 for the sake of time. Um, y'all know the story pretty well, I'm sure. Um, you'll see that the response, and, and the verses might be up on the screen, but so Adam and Eve had a rather short Bible, you know, don't do this. Um, they did that. <laughs> um, but you see, you, see, you, you see the response here that, that their eyes were open and, and they knew they were naked and they sewed uh, fig leaves together and they made themselves apron. Ultimately, they hid themselves from the presence of God amongst the tree. So what's going to happen is, is when you look at the image of the world and being conformed to the world, it's going to happen much like we see in Genesis 3. It's going to start in rebellion to God's word and end with the exchanging of your image. Second, it's going to be you're, you're taking in the robes of righteousness and exchanging them for self-righteousness in the world. 
And you see that the Adam and hid themselves. They, they used, this is the first probably reference of like camouflage, right? So they took leaves and put them all over themselves and tried to blend in with the trees, trying to get that worldly image. So um, our key observation out of this is we see and acknowledge that the word of God, um, if you choose to rebel to do what you think is right and esteem, esteem a worldly image, that you're living in sin, and that sin ultimately ends in death. So the principle that we need to grab out of this is being a living sacrifice um, will not result in, in, I'm sorry, being a living sacrifice will result in our image conforming to the image of Christ, not the world. So not goes in your blank there. So there's an image, and, and the point is, if, if you read Romans 8, 29, that there's an image of, uh, image of Christ that we're, we're to be conformed to. As Jay kind of started us this, this morning in, in Ephesians 4 with the function of the local church, there's a specific path that God, God has a, a specific process that he uses. It's through the local church, biblical discipleship, but it always has a specific outcome. We don't, we don't make anything else but the images of Christ. That's the, the goal of discipleship is to be transformed to the image of Christ. We see this later in Ephesians by the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the end zone of the local church and its ministry. Our admonition here is uh, when people see us, they need to see Christ. We need to let go of our image and, and, and being individuals and stuff like that. And all our unity is going to hinge on everybody seeing everybody here as the image of Christ. So that's, that's our goal. Um, next, I want to have us look at the transformed by the renewing of your mind. I kind of alluded to this earlier, but transforming is not improving. That's kind of the two very different things. Um, transformation, another pet peeve of mine is when people would say, like, new and improved. Transformation is new. Uh, okay, go to, go to 2 Corinthians and you say you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. That's a transformation. Improved is something that was somewhere and is just a little bit better, right? So I, new and improved always drove me crazy because you can't have something new and improved, right? That doesn't even make sense. Think about it. Just get back to me. Uh, you won't believe me. I've, I've sat on this one for way too long, uh, stewed on that one. So next is, thank you for laughing again, but transformation is, is through the mind. Um, our transformation is going to hinge, really it's going to be specifically placed on, on, on how we get information. It's going to be starting in our mind, and it's going to be working out to our flesh. It's not the other way around. It's not... It's not it's not doing the right things, and eventually we, we get the idea. Mind of God, the word of God would be contrary to that idea. Um, but so Scripture's not silent on the mind. We'll actually learn that, that kind of through our study here that there's two minds, just like the flesh and the spirit. Okay, there's, there's a carnal mind, and there's uh, the mind of Christ. The carnal mind... It's what's connected through our flesh and the world system. It's the discipleship we had before we had Christ. It's, it's learning how to do the world things the world's way. The next is the world has a wisdom. We get this out of our 1 Corinthians 2. Um, this is like um, culture and norms and human logic. And uh, the other thing that we probably need to grab here is Romans 8, 7. And it says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. Um, so if the carnal mind's on this side, on this side is the mind of Christ. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, we'll learn that for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when I read this verse initially, I used to think that God just gave us a sound mind. The verse here actually says that he gave us a spirit of a sound mind. That spirit, if, if you look at Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, that spirit of your mind comes from when you put on that new man. That spirit of the mind is only possible, excuse me, after you've been saved. It's, it's, once you've had a new birth, you have the spirit of God in you, that is the new mind. Ephesians 2, 5 
would say that new mind, you have to let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Um, the problem there is, as we learn in, in, in Ephesians 5, is that we do have a choice in the matter. It's not something that's automatic, so we have to let that mind be in us. That mind, if you, if you read on in that passage, that mind was the mind of a servant. It was humble and is obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. Um, all this to, to say that in, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, um, we learned that we have the mind of Christ. So we have a, a fleshly mind that we started out with. This is the, kind of naturally what we have. And then we have the spirit of, of, of a new mind. Uh, so our key principle that we want to get is we need to be intentional if we're going to have the mind of Christ. Growing in the word of God is the only way to get the mind of the word of God or Jesus Christ. So word and mind goes in your blanks. All right. So the lost world can only think one way. It can only think with a carnal mind. Um, but just know that if, if you're saved and sanctified by the spirit of, of God, that you're bipolar. Yes, you heard it here first. Uh, I know. You're welcome. Come and get insulted. Uh, um, James would call it being double-minded. Um, and Paul also I alluded to this, but in Romans 7, that Paul's like, I have another um, warring in my members. If you, if you, so you're thinking, you're like, oh my goodness, there's a battle inside of me. That's exactly what's happening. Um, you're, the spirit of God in your flesh is just worn, getting at it, right? So for us to, another thing that we need to grab is, is biblical discipleship is God's divine process to get a transformed life by a renewed mind. So you would say that maybe, maybe kind of getting up to this point, you would say, okay, I, I had a carnal mind. I got saved. I got the mind of Christ. Okay, I got this mind of Christ. How do I do that? What, what, what does that mean for me? What that means for you is that, that you need to grow in the, the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God had a specific process for that. God didn't leave you without instruction. That process is biblical discipleship. An example that we've probably used here is um, if Egypt is a picture of the world, um, you got, you got the salvation is pictured when, and when, when God, through the Passover lamb, brings Israel out of Egypt. Then they go through the, the, the wilderness, and they end up where God's promises live in the land of Canaan, right? That time in the wilderness would be discipleship. Um, I would say maybe, maybe this makes sense. Um, salvation is us getting out of the world. Discipleship is getting the world out of us. It's how, it's, it's how the, the ways of God are manifest through the transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our last point, and we'll have to hurry up, is proving Already, uh, the, the, the second half of the verse reads <clears throat> that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What we need to grab out of this is that from our text, what's getting proved? If you read this, you, would, you might could try to read this as, well, well I'm going to prove if the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. I assure you that the will of God is absolutely perfect, it's absolutely acceptable, and it's absolutely good, but it's us that has to get proved, and you would go to places like um, 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, examine yourself whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. This proving is so we put mileage on, on the will of God, so we can look back in the rear view and say, yes, it indeed is exactly everything God said it was. Um, if we're asked to prove it, you can know it. So the, maybe grab this. The will of God is very specific. Um, we, would, we would say that, that the will of God is the same for every single believer. It consists of seven, thing, seven things for the sake of time. Um, it's, it's saved, sanctified, thankful, spirit-filled, served, submitted, and suffering, always the Christian's favorite one, is suffering there. But the key principle is the will of God acts as a boundary in which every believer must operate within. So um, a wise man had me picture a ring, like a wrestling ring, and inside of the ring is, is, is the will of God. And to be in the center of, of the will of God for your life is all those things are clicking. And you can get out of them by violation of that. And in there is saved, right? So Every believer will operate inside the will of God. However, the plan of God is different. 
the plan of God is that, is that, is that area inside the will of God. It, it's never out of it. So be sure of this. Those seven things, God will never violate his plan for those seven things. Um, so as we kind of wind down here, and, and it looks like we're about out of time, but I would, I would say let's examine ourselves and say, if someone's come up to you on the street and say, hey, you're a Christian, the will of God, can you, can you give me an example of how it's good? How's that manifested in your life? Do you have a story of how those seven things are good to you? Okay, how about acceptable? Do you know if, if the will of God's acceptable in your life? This, is, this comes with walking in the Spirit daily, and, and it's something that, that we can prove to ourselves. Maybe you'd say, hey, I, don't, I didn't, and you rattled off that seven things so fast, I have no idea what they are. Man, that, praise the Lord, you're here. That means you can, you can submit yourself to biblical discipleship, and there's a lesson that we go through and lay out the will of God and the plan of God and, and kind of the differences, and we use the word of God just to explain exactly what that is. So kind of in closing, I, I, let me hem it up this way, I guess. It's very important for us to submit ourselves as a living sacrifice. Maybe some motivation is on the front end, God's mercy. Look at what God's done in your life. On the back end, view your, your, how you submit yourself and how you are as a living sacrifice in light of the judgment seat of Christ. Because one day, this body that we do submit it's going to be judged for everything done since you were saved, whether they be good or bad. I do thank you for your time today. I believe that's, uh, I'm out of it. So, um, again, thank you for your time and attention. Amen, amen. Amen. Y'all have another hour to give him, right? I think he's got it. Uh, praise the Lord, man. Uh, can you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 uh, as we close? You know, I think, I think Romans 12 is just one of those powerhouse passages. I know it is in my life. God used that verse, those two verses early in my Christian walk um, to do exactly what, what Colin taught us this morning, to, to make me realize that it's just reasonable to choose to yield my life to Christ. Because he already bought it. He bought it at salvation. And, and so it's his. And, and so really I'm just giving back to him what's already his. And, uh, and, and you know for us this morning, First Thessalonians 3, I, I just want us to frame what we've heard to make sure that we didn't hear Colin this morning. That we heard God's word this morning, right? I think he, I think he gave us just the word of God. I'm sure he did, because I wrote it all down. <laughs> and, and so, you know, for us this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, when Paul writes back to the Thessalonians, one of the things that he commends them about, the Thessalonians, was that when they received the word of God, it says in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 3 is on the same page in my Bible, but I need to look at chapter 2. Uh, Paul writes, and he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. In other words, hey man, that was Paul's preaching, that was really good. Or that was Timothy's preaching, that was really good. Paul, Paul is admonishing the Thessalonians, and he just says, hey, when somebody stood up and opened the book, you didn't receive it as the words of men, but you received it as it is in truth the word of God, which affectionately worketh also in you that believe. And, and I just want to make the point for us, man. Number one, thank God uh, for the word of God this morning. We need to receive it as God's word. We need to receive it as, as it is in truth, the word of God. And listen, the word of God demands a response. You know, it, God's word tells us his word will never return void it will accomplish its purposes in our life. And God is begging us through Romans chapter 12. God is beseeching us as brethren based on his mercy to just choose to lay our life down. And, you know, the challenge for us is many times, and, and this is the problem with a living sacrifice, the problem is we'll yield our life and lay it down this week on the altar that God de demands. 
but then we'll get it right back up next week. Because it's a living sacrifice, and you have a will. And even though God has chosen uh, for you to, to accomplish that, God's will is that you prove what is good and acceptable. This is the perfect will of God that you live completely surrendered to Him and to His will for your life. Well, you still got a choice. And I still got a choice too, right? And, and so this living sacrifice, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice that we have to make daily. And, you know, the truth is, as we look at our life, uh, we are already proving what we've chosen. We prove that we're a living sacrifice because the will of God is being accomplished in our life. We prove that we're not a living sacrifice. There's no evidence of the will of God being accomplished in our life. And so this morning, God, God would just, because of his mercy, well, he gives us one more chance. He gives us one more chance. And, and you know, if we walked in this morning, if you walked in this morning, if I walked in this morning, and man, I, number one, I'm not saved. Can I tell you that God has extended his mercy through today? And God wants you to be saved today. God, God wants you, the first thing in God's will for all of our lives, according to the book of Peter, is he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We, we can come to salvation in Christ. And if you're here today and maybe you've bounced the idea around of, of really getting saved, settling the issue, but you're just not sure yet, God's been really merciful. And he's given you another opportunity. But if you are saved, can I just tell you that, that God demands a living sacrifice. He, God is, take the words of Paul to that church and, and re-reason that as the words of Jesus Christ to us. Brethren, I'm beseeching you offer your life lay it down because that's just what's reasonable for the christian and listen we all struggle with that i struggle with that if we've gotten off the altar of sacrifice if we've taken our life back what a tremendous illustration in our heart we have a cross and a throne and whichever one we're on christ is on the other and many times man we get off of that cross and we get back on the throne of our life which puts christ back on the cross He's already done that once. He didn't deserve that anymore. He wants to reign victorious in our life. And when we, man, when we, when we put him back where he's already been, we don't yield our life. We don't offer our life as a living sacrifice. And it, it puts us outside of God's will. It's not, what, it's not what God wants. It doesn't bring God glory. And so listen, man, I, you know, I, I just want to challenge us, man. If we, if we walked in today, we've heard the word of God. Let's not Let's not miss the opportunity to respond, right? Let's not miss the opportunity to respond. If you need to be saved today, maybe you're watching live stream and you've struggled with that, you've bounced back and forth with that, God is really merciful. He, he, today, he hadn't given any of us what we deserved. And we're just sinners. And, and God's extended that mercy one more day, one more opportunity to hear the gospel. And for those, those of us that are saved, man, we, we are in Christ, but yet we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of this life. And God's given us one more day. Let's, let's, just, let's just choose that today we're going to lay our life down. We're going to become a living sacrifice. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we need you.